want a bit of the quiet life. I want a bit of shelf indulgence. If there is reading, give me all of it. Join the show on the Microbrew Radio. Listen to Jim, Wendy, and Emily. Join in the conversation. I want to hear it. I want to read it. I want a bit of self-indulgence. I want to hear it. And welcome to this week's installment of Shelf Indulgence, Microbrew Radio's weekly delivery of everything bookish. Tonight, today, it's myself and Wendy again, and we're coming to you with our final episode, our second episode on lessons in chemistry, Um, and our usual regular segments, of course, where we'll discuss books in general, what Granny's read, and Poetry Corner will be visited. So, I think with no further ado, Wendy, shall shall we meander down to Poetry Corner? I think that would be a great idea, Jim. And I think, because I know you've got lined up one of my favourite poets, I'd like you to go first. Okie doke then. So um, I've chosen, um, I'm a real Pam Ayers fan. So I've chosen one of Pam's, um, this isn't one of her best known poems, but I just love it. Um, And so uh, I'll, I'll read you. This is called The Battery Hen. Oh, I am a battery hen. On me back, there's not a germ. I never scratched a farmyard and I never pecked a worm. I never had the sunshine to warm me feathers through. Eggs I lay every day just for the likes. When you have them scrambled, piled on your plate, it's me that you should thank for that. I never lays them late. I never lays them regular. I always lays them right. I never lays them brown. I only lays them white. But it's no life for a battery hen. In me box I'm sat. A funnel stuck out from me the side. Me pellets come down that. I get a squirt of water every half a day. Watching with me beady eye. Me eggs as they roll away. I lays them in a funnel strategically placed. So that I don't kick them and let them go to waste. They rolls off down the tubing and up the gangway quick. Sometimes I get to thinking, that could have been a chick. I might have been a farmyard hen, scratching in the sun. There might have been a crowd of chicks after me to run. There might have been a cockerel fine to pay us his respect. Instead of sitting here till someone comes and rings our neck. I see the time and motion clock, it's saying nearly noon. I spec me squirt of water will come flying out at me soon. And then me spray a pellet will nearly break me leg and I'll bite the wire netting as I lay one more bloody egg. <laughs> I, I just mean, love it. <laughs> I love it. I love Pam. It's actually one of Pam's I've not heard before. Um, but also, it, how sad. Yes, it is. It is sad. And, but it, 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 it sums up the life of a battery again absolutely perfectly. The futility of it. But that, that sort of pathos is there, isn't it? I yeah. just think she's so underrated. She's so underrated. Yes. I think she's often just seen as uh, the WI's funny comic. Yeah, it's it's a bit of comic entertainment. But actually, as a poet, you'd go, on, you'd go a long way to, to best her, I think. I think she makes some very astute observations on life. She, does. she absolutely does. 
I, rem I remember hearing her read uh, a poem she'd written about her husband and about how he's mm. never wrong. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Oh, I love that one, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I, I've, do you know what? There must have been something in the air because there's a common theme here with no planning or prep whatsoever. Believe us, right. this, this is true. I've, I've picked a poem with a similar kind of feel. Oh, wow. Um, although I'm not looking at battery hens, but actually it's a, a zoo lion. So this is called The Bereavement of the Lion Keeper, written by Sheena Pugh, dedicated for Sharak Amar, who stayed long after his pay stopped in the zoo with no visitors, just keepers and captives, moth-eaten, growing old together. Who begged for meat in the marketplace as times grew hungrier and cut it up small to feed him since his teeth were gone? Who could stroke his head? Who knew how it felt to plunge fingers into rough, glowing fur? Who has heard the deepest purr in the world? Who curled close to him, wrapped in his warmth, his pungent scent as the bombs fell? Who has seen him asleep so often, but never like this? Who knew that elderly lions were not immortal, that it was bound to happen, that he died peacefully in the course of nature? But who knows no way to let go of love, to walk out of sunlight, to be an old man in a city without a lion? Oh, oh, that's very evocative, and really, that is really sad. Yeah, well, it, it's it, the poem is about uh, Marjan, who was a lion who lived in Kabul Zoo in Afghanistan for twenty three years until his oh. death in two thousand and two. Uh, mm -hmm. Shirak Omar whom the poem is dedicated to, was Marjan's keeper. Right. And in a way, I mean, there, there is definitely a similarity between our two poems, the futility of captivity. Yes, absolutely. Um, but also in this one, there's that it almost, it, 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 I think it hit me with a certain significance and resonance because of what happened and almost happened to, you know, definitely happened to some zoos, but almost happened to lots of zoos during lockdown, you know. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. You know, what is a zoo without its visitors? Yeah, that's absolutely right. Apart from in dire straits. Um, and, you, you know, that's one of the things that when we read The Beekeeper of Aleppo, what really brought home to me about these war zones is the things you don't think about a war zone. Yeah, yeah. You know, you don't think, well, what happened to the animals at the zoo? You know, Kabul had a zoo. Kabul was, you know, yes, it's the capital. It, it, it's a it's a big city in Afghanistan. It's an important city in Afghanistan. And before the war came, you know, much in the same way in countries, the cities in Syria and now in... Um, <clears throat> uh, uh, oh, my head's gone empty. Where's Putin bombing? Russia. No, no, where's he at war with? The blue and yellow oh, flag. Oh, um, Ukraine. Ukraine. Ukraine, thank you. My head was really wanting to say Estonian. I'm like, I know it's not Estonia. <laughs> um, yeah, the, so, you know, like the Ukraine today, you know, these are cities and places that were developed and beautiful and had architecture and had art and had zoos. And now they're war zones. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so there we go. Yeah, I mean, 
for me, that poem just, yeah, that really touched me. There's definitely that, um, there's a real similarity between the two of them, quite different, um, but there's real synergy between the two of them, isn't there? Yeah, and, and spooky that we chose them separately and yeah, absolutely. on the same week. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, there we are. We'll have to be careful, Wendy, because if people, if we make more mistakes like that and pick the poems that work together, people think we planned this sort of stuff. Yeah, they will, and that would never do. <laughs> no, there's a lot about this programme that isn't planned, I promise you. <laughs> Only we did get together and plan it. Yes. <laughs> Have you ever wondered if you can take part in Microbrew Radio as a volunteer? We can. Simply email us on microbrewradio at gmail.com or you can get in touch on one of the many social media services Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and LinkedIn at microbrewradio Hmm, get in touch now Hmm. Wendy and I had our second face-to-face meeting this week ladies and gents of the listeners um, you know, th- this show was born out of COVID and for a long time we couldn't meet. And then uh, I, I met you first when I attended your book launch for your second novel. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, and then for the first time we, we, we convened yesterday at Burton Library, didn't we, Wendy? We did, yes, we did. Uh, which is something we talked about for a long time um, and we hadn't got around to, so we did it, uh, only to find out the library was closed because the roof's fallen in. Um, but we, we could still attend the cafe and have a coffee. And, um, yeah, and it just made me think a little bit, actually, about the importance of libraries. Um, oh, absolutely. And, you know, the fact that Burton's library, um, yeah, the library is currently closed because of wanting repairs and the, the mobile library is there in the car park, so there's a very small selection on offer. Um, but to think of the... The people that are, you know, will have reduced hours because, you know, you can't fit all the librarians that normally work in the library into that little van. Uh, to think mm. of it, the fact that the library is uh, a hub within the community um, and there's a displacement that's happened because of that. And I just hope that when the library gets back on its feet and is open again for business, that people return. I think people need to, to support it. You know, you, you came up with a, a phrase a few times ago when we, um, a few shows ago when we were talking about libraries and the importance of them, and it's absolutely right. Still the only place you can go and spend a really good day out and spend no money. Yeah. Yeah, it's probably the only place in Britain where you can go and spend no money. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, there we are. Um, let us wander then towards the direction of Lessons in Chemistry by... Uh, Bonnie Garmus. Now, Wendy, we left last week having both started the book and having yep. both reached a point where um, we were probably different places. I was quite enjoying what I'd read so far. I found was finding it laugh out loud amusing in places. If I, if only they were quiet titters as opposed to belly rolls. Um, yeah. Whereas you were finding it not entertaining in the slightest. Yeah, I think that's right. Not not simply because um, I don't think it's badly written. I don't necessarily think it's a bad book. Um, it's certainly not my genre. Um, and I found some of the uh, mechanisms that she's used to tell the story quite irritating. 
Um, and and unfortunately, as I went through the book, and I know this means that I'm completely out of step with everybody else because loads and loads of people have reviewed this book and thought it was fabulous. But for me, it didn't float my boat at all. Um, there were too many um, highly unlikelies in it for me. And I couldn't get past that to read into the story. I think for me, although I find the main protagonist, Elizabeth Zott, to be amusing um, and I enjoy her outlook on the world and the way she interprets the world, I am certainly finding that the further I get into the book, the harder it becomes to read because I don't feel like we're getting anywhere or achieving anything. Yeah, I would, um, I would absolutely. Even though time is passing and character development is happening and new things have occurred and there's, you know, new, new events on every page. It's not repetitive in any way. You know, it's continually telling a new bit of the story. And like you say, it's well written. There's nothing wrong with it as a book. But I'm just not getting anything out of it for my personal taste. No, I'd, I'd agree with that. Uh, do you know what, Jim? The further I got into it, though, it did have echoes of where the crawdads sing for me. Because do you remember we had the discussion about how unlikely it was for the main character in where the crawdads sing um, to become as well-read and educated as she was with the start that she had? And and how super intelligent she became in yeah. what we worked out was a time span of about eighteen months. Do you remember yeah. that? And yeah. um, I had I had a feeling of deja vu here because here the main character um, decides that she's going to study physics um, and becomes this fantastic rower um, who can beat all of the six foot athletic men hands down simply by understanding physics. Now, I'm sorry, but that is just ludicrous. So I didn't find that as ludicrous as the romance. Oh, right. <laughs> okay, then. So what was this um, about the romance that you felt ludicrous <clears throat> about? Maybe it's because I've never ended up in uh, having met the one, as it were. Right. And yeah. maybe I'm just a big old cynic. But for me, the fact that these two socially inept, socially awkward um, people who are both from such rough starts in life end up to both be made sort of self-made genii who then meet and despite all the contrary things that should occur end up falling head and heels in love. I just found it a bit like, really? Did they? Because they're so... Cut and dry and cold and clinical and, dare I say, autistic in their approach to the rest of everything. Well, it's biz- it's bizarre because they're devoid of emotion, aren't they, really? In everything that they tackle, everything it has a logical base. Mm-hmm. So they use logical reasoning. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, they, they practically, they practically come across as Vulcan at times. Yes, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. But then so, sort of strange ponfar, and that's a obscure Star Trek reference that most people might not get. Uh, um, it's not that obscure if you're a Trekkie, but yeah. Um, but they have this strange, all of a sudden, emotional overcome, overcoming and just like click and jump into bed and pull each other's clothes off. And I'm like, really? Did, did that? 
did it, did it really happen that way? Because yeah, I know exactly what you mean. And if nothing else, um, what that does for me as I read it is it's incongruent. It doesn't flow because you're reading parts of the book and they don't connect together in in a seamless way. It's too clunky for me. The other issue I had was 6.30. Right. So the book contains a canine character named 6.30. And I quite liked the way he got his name. Yeah. Because uh, she mishears the question of who's your friend, not realising she's been followed by home by a homeless dog, and looks at her wristwatch and says 6.30, therefore the dog's name becomes 6.30. I quite like that. Uh, I quite like the character of 6.30. And we've read other canine characters in the past who were entertaining, you know, I think, to um, the dog who came in from the cold in the Corduroy yes. Mansions by, um, um, I'm having a scene moment, Wendy, by Alexander... Alexander McCall-Smith. McCall-Smith, thank you. Um, or other canine characters we've read where, you know, there is a believability. Yes, but some of 6.30's thought processes are not canine. No, no, they're absolutely not. Whereas at least with Freddie Dillon Hay, who is, you know, a precociously named uh, sausage dog in Alexander McCall Smith's The Dog Who Came In From The Cold, yeah. he does interpret the world and read the world as a dog and understand the world as a dog, even though his thoughts are put into human words by a narrator. Absolutely. There is a doggy logic that makes sense with his actions and with his level of understanding. Yeah. And that is not, that's not the case no. with that. There's, there's, a, there's a degree of personification and reasoning that goes beyond true dogginess for 630. Yeah, I'd agree. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely And agree. were this a fantasy book, do you know what? I wouldn't mind. I could get on board with it. But I found him to be an incongruous character. Mm. Yeah. Because he is he is quite a fantasy character, but he's in this non-fantastical book. Yeah. So for me, that that was what, what another one of the issues I had reading it. Now, I also feel like the majority of the book kind of like ambles through the backstory that I'm not that interested in. Yes, I I would agree with that. I I think that um, it does it, it add it does nothing to add to the narrative or the character development. It just is there almost like a backdrop on a on a, a theatre stage. Yeah, I mean, we start off meeting the daughter of Elizabeth Zott, knowing that she's quite a precocious, intelligent um, child, and I can get on board with that. Fine, they exist; they're out there. Uh, I've taught a few. But then also knowing that that's there and that she's going to have this career as a TV presenter. And when you read the blurb, this is about a scientist who's not managed to get into the science world because of her gender and yep. therefore has ended up as a TV presenter. And I'm like, OK, so that's what this book is going to be about. And for the next Lord knows how many chapters, we go back and find out over a very long, tedious period, why she hasn't made it as a scientist. Yes, yeah. I'm like, I didn't need this filling in. I was happy. Yeah. I was happy with 
it, the exp- the explanation was sufficient. In by the way, the world's been unfair. Women didn't get a share stake, share a fair shake of the stick, and that's why she ended up being a TV presenter. From that point of view, I was happy. Thank you very much. I didn't need a 12-chapter explanation. <laughs> no, I absolutely agree with you. I thought a lot of it was, it felt too laboured to me. Um, and, and, you know, they were there were some, because it's not a fantasy book, because it's supposed to have its boots at least in reality, I just can't imagine any four-year-old child sitting reading Norman Mailer, for God's sake. I mean, it just, it's, it is, there are bits of it that are just ludicrous and unbelievable. Um, you know, the fact I, I, that the child I, 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 can have a conversation about religion to the extent that she does and, and force a clergyman uh, who she's having the debate with to renounce his religion. Well, it, you know, it's just, it's that so bit, far. That bit did go a bit far. Um, it's just I've contrived. Met, I, yeah, I've met I've met precocious child genii yeah. Yeah. who who would fulfil a lot of the conditions in this book, and absolutely I can imagine them sitting down reading things that they completely shouldn't be at that age because they should be out skiing their knees and climbing trees. Um, but at the same time, there are elements of that character that do go too far for me to be able to get on board. Yeah, um, I, I just for me they felt too. Um, too contrived and too unrealistic. And and you know, I I went uh, as I say, I've got I've got about sixty pages left to finish the book. Um, and I'm I'm not convinced that I will go back and read it. But I I looked at the cover tonight when I was picking the book up to come and do the show. I looked at the cover and I almost think I ought to be appealing to somebody um, with the trade descriptions act because the four things on the front side it sparks joy with every page. No, it doesn't. It's thought-provoking and stylish. No, it isn't. It's a timeless novel. No, it isn't. It's absolutely rooted in in misogyny and sexual discrimination. Um, And it's absolutely unputdownable. No, it's not. So I don't know who these people are that put these things on the book covers, but I want to read the book that they've read because it certainly ain't the one I've read. See, I I know you've got the paperback. I've got the hard cap, the hard cap, and um, I've got uh, on the front of mine. I I have a different quote. Three of them, all right. But sparks with every page. uh, Sparks joy with every page is relegated to the back cover of the hardback. And we have the claim on the front cover that this book is not only as brilliant as everything else, but no, no. According to Indian Knight, who writes for the Sunday Times, this book is. Life enhancing. Oh no, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> I, I must admit, it hasn't enhanced mine in any way. But having said that, obviously there are an awful lot of people who really like this book and have really enjoyed it. There are elements yeah. of this book I have enjoyed more than yourself. Um and we both agree it's well written. It's not a bad book. No, it's not a bad no, it's not badly written at all. So it may well be, and I've already got somebody in mind who I think, actually, they might quite enjoy this, and I'm going to pass it on to. Although, of course, it'll have to go through the filter of Granny first. Um, I I think, you know, listeners, if this may well be a book you enjoy, don't don't disregard it just on our say-so. However, 
having said that, if you do find yourself agreeing an awful lot of the time with things that Wendy and I say, maybe don't pick this one. Mm. <laughs> um, I mean, now, Joe Lawson, on the back of this uh, copy, her, her quote is, I am devastated to have finished it. I think had I finished I'm, it, I'd be... I, I'd be I think if I if if I had finished it, I'd be quite relieved. Um, because I do, I, I will, I will feel a compulsion to go back and finish this at some point, without a doubt. And it has been enjoyable enough for me to. I do want to know what happens in the end, so I will go back and read it. I just don't. Th- and may, maybe, maybe this book is a victim of its hype. Maybe that's part. I'm not saying that's all the problem. But maybe that's part of the problem because I know that we both picked this because we yeah you know, we picked we picked this separately. We both bought it before we suggested we read it for the show. Not yet. Um, and we both bought it on the basis of a lot of the claims that are all over the book. And that actually, the premise sounds pretty good. I'm just not I, sure I think... I'd have delivered it Did... in the same way. No, I'd agree with that. I think for me, it didn't meet the brief. If you read, if you read the cover notes as the brief of this book, it doesn't match up to that. So I would have expected far more detail about this whole idea of using chemistry as a metaphor through cooking to describe life. I was really intrigued by that. Yeah, and, and to it, subvert it, the patriarchy. Yeah, yeah. And it, it just didn't. That bit fell flat for me. And yet that was the bit that I was really looking forward to. And like you say, I really didn't need 12 chapters of of justification as to why she wasn't able to make it in a male-dominated field. No, I feel that that's a story we're all too familiar with. And, and honestly, there were, there were an awful lot of cliches in it, Jim. Yes. Quick. You must listen to Microbrew Radio, and there's only one way. Well, actually, there are three ways. It's microbrewradio.com. You can listen on there. Or we have an app, which is available on the App Store and the Google Play Store. Get it now. And, of course, there's Alexa. Simply say, launch Microbrew Radio. Do it now. It's the only way you'll survive here on Microbrew Radio. Right, let's, let's before we go any further with lessons in chemistry then, because I have got maybe a couple of questions that might create an interesting conversation. But before we go any further in that direction, let's just take a quick look at what Granny's read. Well, okay, then. So this week, Granny's read two books. She's read The Birdcage uh, by Eve Chase, which is a Sunday Times bestseller, um, and... She says, very enjoyable. She really enjoyed it. Uh, when half-sisters Lauren, Flora and Kat are unexpectedly summoned to the Cornish house where they spent their childhood summers, it's the first time they've dared return because the wild cliffs and windswept beaches had a 20-year-old secret, the truth about what they did. Someone who remembers them lurks in the shadows, watching their every move, and there are other secrets, even darker than their own, waiting to be unearthed. Mm, that sounds but- good. Does sound on my street. Think I will probably read it at some point. It will be added to the ever expanding uh, to be read pile. Which, by the way, ladies and ladies and gents of the listenership, um, myself and Wendy no longer have to be read piles. We have to be read bookcases. Yes, we do. We do. Uh, but then, um, 
Granny has then had delivered the latest Ellie Griffiths leading heart yard, mm. um, which, when it arrived, having just reorganised all the books in the house for Gran, I, I said to her, right, I'm going to hide this till you finish your TV Red shelf, at which point she made some very violent threats against my person, Wendy. <laughs> Because she was, t- she 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 definitely reassured me that this would be the next book she read, regardless of how many others were waiting to be read. So that's that shows her love of Ellie Griffiths. Now, Ellie, this one actually goes back to Di Harbinder Kaur, who is the one we read the book featuring Postscript Murders. Yes, yeah. Um, and it, yeah, it's about another police officer who has a terrible secret um and yeah very very i mean ellie griffiths if you are if you like crime fiction you like a murder mystery highly recommend ellie griffiths so that's that went straight to the top of grand's to be red pile and she's now moved on to i think she's reading a gerald seymour at the minute um, oh, no, it's okay. but i should let oh, you know more yeah. about that yeah i should let you know more about that on the next episode of the show okay. now um wendy I'd like to ask you, what then makes this a good book? Because it is a good book. Both of us have said that. It's, it's, it's not a bad book. It is a good book. It's it's well written. And it just doesn't float our boats. So let's explore that. What is it that makes it? Why can we justify that, that it's a good book? I think it's got all of the core elements. So she writes situation very well. She writes character very well. There is definitely character arcs in the book, even though even, I would argue that they're a bit they're a bit unrealistic for me, but they're definitely there. Um, so uh, she um, she does dialogue as well. She's very good at writing characters that have got idiosyncrasies, um, and they are believable with those idiosyncrasies. So um, so I think she's got the core elements here, and I, I do think, in all fairness. We have to say that this is a debut novel. Um, and so for a debut novel, she's got all of the bits in all of the right order. Yeah, I, I'd agree with that. Uh, and again, I think it, what she writes well, even if the romance for me was slightly unbelievable, she does write relationships well. And not necessarily the relationship between, her, between the two lovers, but also the, the interactions between, and for me, what really resonated as one of the things I could really identify with was the relationships that Elizabeth has with people who aren't like her. Yes. With people yeah. who don't understand her her way of seeing the world. You know, why, 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 why would you, why, where, why has your mind gone to there? Because clearly my mind has told, is working this way. So why doesn't yours? Um, I wonder, actually, you saying that, and I haven't thought about this before, but you saying that really does make me think that this is a book that will date because it follows a trend and pattern of people writing about people that are considered to be on a spectrum of some sort. So I hate to use this word, but I can't think of another word at the moment to describe it. So, so they're outside of what society has has accepted as normal in inverted commas. 
for probably the last couple of decades. And there is a trend at the moment to write characters that sit outside of those norms on a spectrum, behave differently, think differently. Um, and and the theme is to explore whether that's right or wrong um, and, and what that look and fe- looks and feels like if you're the recipient. Um, and if you put it in those terms, it is very much a book of the moment. It, it isn't a timeless book at all. I think you'll be able to look back on this book and say almost, you know, down to the year exactly when it was, because it is following a, a well-trodden path at the moment that does the same. I mean, that's a personal opinion, um, but but it just just what you've just said struck me that um, that helped me articulate part of what I was feeling about the book. Yeah, um, the, the word you're looking for is, uh, I'm not sure if it's pronounced allistic or allistic, I think allistic. Um, allistic is the term for, uh, sometimes called nippical, but it's the it's to it's the replacement word for normal. Um, so it's it's all those who are non-autistic. Okay. Allistic. Although that does comprise both neurotypical peoples and non-autistic neurodivergent people. Um, so a complex term. But equally, you know, that, that's that's that was I I I, I relish the chance to always uh, improve anyone's vocabulary. Um, but that's that's the term for those peoples, um, because yes, yeah, certainly there are people on the uh, autistic spectrum disorder um, who, well, spectrum who you know, um, firstly take issue with the word disorder. Um, it's it's we're now considering it a syndrome as opposed to a disorder, um, but also that um, they don't like the word normal because. That employ that that implies abnormality. No, I I do get that, and yeah. I apologise. No, 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 no. Certainly, certainly, time. certainly not an issue. Uh, I think it's a great opportunity to use it as a teaching point. Um, but also, I think I don't know. Will will that make it dated? Will it make it dateable? Because I don't know whether with the way things are going now. Um, people are becoming more aware of the autistic spectrum and people are becoming more aware that actually there are an awful lot more people on that spectrum than initially proposed and thought. Um, A lot of people who cope perfectly well in everyday society who mask their autistic traits um, but then also I wonder if actually what makes the book more dateable is the way that it r- handles the issues of misogyny and sexism um, rather than the way it handles people who are not neurotypical. I'll tell you for what it strikes me of, and, and it's just my personal view about this particular book, although I do think that this holds water with con- contemporary fiction that's written in the same vein is that everything in the past is bad and needs to be highlighted for its badness and everything that's happening now is absolutely right and and is not to be questioned um and you know if that's the way literature's going that makes me really because i've lived a life of 60 odd years and i have never seen life as that black or white that definite that left or right there are shades of grey there are nuances of direction there are 
It's never, never that straightforward. It's never that. And if literature is boiling it down to past is bad and present is good and not to be questioned, I think that's a really sad route to take. Because fiction I would, I would be also argue that I agree with you on that, but I would also argue that it's actually quite contrary to the nature of fiction in itself, because surely it is through our art and through fiction that we question the norm. That's it, exactly. That is exactly. Um, and you can't say everything in the past is bad. You, you can't, because that, that's a lie. Um, but also, I think I would be... <laughs> what you're saying speaks volumes to me, and I'm going to raise uh, the point of what they've attempted, or I don't know if they're still attempting to do with Roald Dahl's works. Yes, oh, oh, absolutely. And Agatha Christie's work, and Enid Blyton's work, and, you know, it just keeps going on and on, doesn't it? Yeah, and you know, point... when you're taking work that was written in a time and making it politically acceptable for today's society, well, that's A, censorship, B, I would say, art- artistic crime, and moreover, surely what you're doing there is you're erasing history. No, you are. You absolutely are. The, the whole point of um, anybody, this is just an example, but anybody that read Root, and I, that, was the, that was the big epic book when I was younger, um, and everybody read Root, and then there was a TV programme made of it. And yeah. It really did highlight, in very stark contrast, the absolute appalling nature of the slavery trade in America at that time. Um, it laid it out probably for the first time that a lot of people had, had seen the issues um, and the stories that were behind it. It was a piece of um, societal history that was reflected and utilised so that we could draw a line in the sand and say never again. That That's what, for me, that's what that book did. Um, to understand danger, it, <clears throat> if you homogenise it, the lesson is lost. Yes. And surely if a book, if a book is no longer appropriate, well, people will vote with their purchasing power. You know, I think, I think Roald Dahl's works are amazing. I think they're brilliant. He's my favourite author, without shadow of a doubt, both his children's literature and his adult fiction. You know, I think we've got their, you know, and I've spoken at length on the show about Roald Dahl, but um, I think to then take his work and censor it to make it PC for today's society. Well, it's like Bruce Bogtrotter. You know, oh, we can't describe him as fat. Bruce Bogtrotter was a fat child in Roald Dahl's book. And we know he was a fat child because he managed to eat an entire huge, humongous chocolate cake without being ill. And that made him a champion amongst his peers. Mm. And th- th- that in itself is the point. Whereas, every- whereas the Trunchbull sees this opportunity to punish and victimise Bruce because of his appetite and his size, 
Matilda seizes the opportunity to celebrate his difference, to turn him into a champion, to make him beat the Trunchbull by being excellent at his thing. You know, competitive eating is a sport. People do it. You know, who we don't know. Bruce Bogtrotter perhaps went on in the world of Matilda to become a competitive eater. But why shouldn't that be celebrated? Why shouldn't people's differences and uniqueness be celebrated and explored and described in black and white type? And but I I do think that this this idea of taking an example and generalising it across you know a whole generation across a whole group is just not realistic. I don't know of anybody that decided to become a compulsive eater from reading a Roald Dahl book. No. Do you know what I'm saying? It doesn't normalise. And, and, and equally, equally, if your argument is that children learn to bully children who are fat from reading this book, firstly, they've not read the book properly, and secondly, children don't need teaching to bully. No, no, you're absolutely right. They're more likely to pick that that up from people around them, and and so for me, I just think it's the that we're going down this route and by mm. we're focusing on the wrong stuff but we're focusing on on tinkering around the edges of things that don't have an impact and we ignore the things that are having an impact because they're too big and too complex to deal with and that's that shows a lack of first for me it shows a lack of intelligence of our society and it shows a lack of people standing up for what they believe in and that's not that's not a world I want to live in. Um, I don't think you can use literature in that way. It's not a scapegoat for what happened in history. It's simply a record of a version of what might have happened. Yeah. Right. And on that note, I think we better wrap things up. Okay. So, ladies and gents, uh, and everybody else out there, whether you however you classify yourself. Uh, please, 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 please get in touch if you've got anything to share with us. You can reach us at jim at shelfindulgence.uk. You can reach us via Facebook. You can reach us via Instagram. Search out Shelf Indulgence. We're out there, folks. Or, you know, the, another thing you can do is just share your love of the show with somebody else. Tell somebody else about the show. Let's get more people listening to Microbrew Radio. Uh, and maybe if you only listen to us, maybe tune in to Microbrew Radio at a different point. Also, should you wish at any point to revisit any of the episodes you might have missed, if you're a new listener, we do on Microbrew Radio have a catch-up service. So if you go to the uh, webpage for Microbrew Radio, you, there is a catch-up page. You can go on to, I think it's called Mixcloud, and you can get all the previous episodes and catch up with what we've been talking about and what we've read there. So next week... Um, we will be having a rerun of a previous episode of uh, Wendy's Desert Island Library. Um, and in two weeks' time, Wendy and I will be back and we'll be discussing the book of Form and Emptiness by Ruth... Now, I've not got the book near me. I think it's Ruth Oziki or something like that. Anyway... Until next week, ladies and gents, good reading. Good reading, everybody. This show is part of Microbrew Radio, Burton on Trent's community radio station. You can hear this and plenty of other shows over on microbrewradio.com. Find our app on the iOS or Android stores. 
or just say Alexa, play Microbrew Radio. And if you like what you hear, please let us know on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. Thanks. <laughs>